All right, so we're ready to jump in. So um, we are going to be in a couple of different passages. I'm not going to tell you to turn there just yet, but we've been doing this series called uh, The Imperfect Disciple and um, really talking through what does true discipleship looks like, what does it look like. And, uh, and you know, sometimes when I, as I was thinking about this particular talk, um, I was thinking about just the, the history of, like, me in the church and just kind of how it's really a miracle of God that I actually work in a church. I, I look back and I go, man, it's, it's actually, you can see God's hand because it was never something I set out to do. And part of that is because um, the church I grew up in was really messed up and dysfunctional. And I think I've told this story before. I'll tell you very quickly. But um, the church I grew up in was a little church in Virginia. And, um, and it was one of those, I didn't really see how dysfunctional it was until later on in high school. And I had this, the church hired this youth pastor, this great guy who really influenced a lot of us to, you know, give our lives to Jesus, and, and he discipled us and, and did all that very well. And then um, at some point, like, things went sideways between him and the senior pastor. Senior pastor asked him to resign, and he was like, I haven't done anything wrong. Why am I going to resign? And it was just one of those weird personality conflicts where he just didn't like him for whatever reason. And so senior pastor decides to wheel all of his power and ask this guy to resign and somebody else to resign, and they're both like, we haven't done anything wrong. Why are we going to do that? And, um, and so the whole thing got really messy. The church brings in this consultant from the outside. He tries to, meet with it, tries to resolve everything. It doesn't really work. Then the church decides, the consultant's idea was, let, let's fix this by letting the congregation decide on if all the pastors should be fired, all of them together, or they all stay. That was the decision. And so we had this, like, church vote. I was, like, 18, and I could actually vote in these things. And it was like, here I am looking at a piece of paper saying, do you want to fire all your church pastors in one little check mark, or they all stay, you know? And unfortunately, at that point, the church, I think, had had enough, and they really liked certain staff members, but they wanted to get rid of the senior guy. And so they were like, let's just get rid of all of them, right? And so they were all voted out in one meeting. All the pastors were let go in one meeting. And, and I just looked back. I was like, what is wrong with this place? This place is messed up. Then I come to Texas, and this church I worked at in Texas for a while was great. And then things went sideways at that church at some point, and I started seeing the same kinds of weirdness and drama and dysfunction. And, uh, and so when I look back on the, the two churches before I came here that were formative in shaping me spiritually, they were like really messed up places. And, and I look back and I go, man, it's, it's actually a miracle that, that I'm actually working in a church, right? And, and I know for a lot of you, you're thinking, it's a miracle that I'm sitting in this building today because I've had my own drama or dysfunction I've seen in the church, and, and it's actually a miracle that I'm still sitting here as a senior or junior or sophomore in high school. And I think sometimes we think that church would be better without all the people, right? I don't need to tell you that. I mean, you guys feel that, the weight of that. I like what, um, if you haven't felt that at some point so far in your walk with Christ, you will at some point down the road. At some point in your life, you will want to pull away from the church. It will happen. And, but there's a warning here I want to read to you from Jared Wilson. He says, we need to be careful that our avoidance of Christian community in the church is not the result of our own judgmental spirit. So oftentimes you and I, we can see that that thing happening in the church that I just described, and we can say, you know what, I want no part of that. I'm pulling away. But what happens, though, is it's subtle, 
is that's really our own self-righteousness creeping in and saying, you know what, I'm not, I want no part of that. Um, I'm not like that. And I refuse to be a part of it. And I understand that temptation, but people pull away from church or youth group all the time saying, you know, there's just too much hypocrisy, too much immaturity, or everyone's just too judgmental. And I've heard all of those things from students as to why they might start to pull away from a community. And that might be true, but I would also say, isn't pulling away its own judgment? Isn't removing yourself from the body of Christ um, a bit of a self-righteous thing to do when you really think about it? And I'll also say looking down on people that are less mature than you might be, isn't that like an immature thing to do, you know? Isn't being unwilling to put up with someone else's immaturity, isn't that like an immature thing to do? So imagine if Jesus had done that. Imagine if Jesus, look at the Gospels, you see the disciples and their immaturity, and their, many believe the disciples were actually in the late teens whenever Jesus called them to follow him. So they weren't like these super mature guys spiritually, and that, was, that plays out in the Gospels. But imagine if Jesus hadn't stuck with them. Imagine if Jesus hadn't been that committed to them in his relationship with them. You see, worshiping Christ should lead us, worshiping Christ should lead us to embody that same Christ to one another. Worship of Christ should lead us to embody that same commitment that Jesus had for his disciples. We should see that in the church and among ourselves. Now, I know many of us, we settle for things that might feel like community. We might call it, you know, fake community. And I think of the, um, the social media world, how everyone kind of lives their life on display to an extent. But, I mean, we all know that we're, we're putting forth what we want to put forth, right? And it, it can look authentic, but a lot of times it's us just posturing ourselves, trying to appear transparent, trying to appear that we're, um, that we're authentic in front of other people. We only show what we want to show. And so over the last uh, couple of weeks, we talked about the importance of immersing ourselves in God's Word and talking to God through prayer. And the question is, why are these things important? Is it so that you can just have a really strong, solid, individual relationship with God? Is that why we do these things? I mean, what I, what I studied this week was, was actually a revelation to me because I always think of my time in the Word, my time in prayer as just benefiting me and my walk with God. But it is so much more than that. And it's for so much more than that. When you and I spend time with God in His Word and through prayer, it's not just for you. It's for us. It is for us. It is for community. We've got to shift our thinking from I do this for me to I do it for us. We use the word community a lot, I know, in the church, but what does that really mean? There's a word in the Greek that's associated with that, and it's the word koinonia, which is also means fellowship. And these are, there's some related words like common, sharing, and participation. And um, again, my home church, I think about how my home church was structured during the week, and uh, we had three church services during the week, and they were all very similar. My, school, my church was old school. It was like they did the Sunday morning thing. They did the Sunday night thing. They did the Wednesday night thing. But it was like 
just a church service each time. It was like we hired this pastor. His job in our eyes was to just go to a service. You sit and hear a sermon. You walk out. You come back Sunday night. You do the same thing. You come back Wednesday. You do the exact same thing. So it's like the pastor's job is just to feed us spiritually, and we just sit out there and just get fat. That was the idea behind all that, I think. And so they never really taught me what community meant in that congregation. And you see, we're trying to give you guys a head start here. We believe that discipleship happens primarily in community. And that can happen in some formal ways and some informal ways. So when I think of community, I think of the formal ways, of course, Wednesdays, and a little bit what happens here on Sundays when you guys do your breakouts and stuff. There's a little bit of that that happens. But I think of the programs, but I also think of the informal stuff, which is I talked to one of our freshman guy leaders this morning. He said, hey, me and the guys came and played basketball yesterday up here at the church and just hung out together. So there are some ways in which it can happen in an informal way as well. And those relationships can deepen. So I want you to think of, um, of a skeleton, right? This is like the church programs, right? They're, they're strong, they're robust. And now, now picture all the muscles and the tendons and ligaments. These are like the relationships, so, um, you know, a skeleton has to have the muscles, and the muscles have to have the skeleton. And you can't just have church programs, and you can't just have your organic relationships. You need both working together. You know, if you attend the programs, but you don't really engage relationally, it's like a skeleton with no muscle. And if you engage just relationally, but don't attend church, it's a muscle without the skeleton. And so why do we, why do we believe so strongly in discipling in community. One of the main reasons is, is spiritual gifts. We see this over in Ephesians chapter 4. Go ahead and turn there. Ephesians 4, looking at verses 11 to 16. And here's what it says. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So Paul lists out here these, these five different kinds of spiritual gifts, or these people, not just gifts, but these people in their roles, they are a gift to the church. And he gives this very specific thing. He says, he's answering the question, why are these people given to the church? And the answer is, to equip people for ministry. It's not just to preach a message so you just take it all in for you individually and you just and that's it. But it's to equip you for ministry, to equip you for good works to happen inside the church but also out there in the world. And so it's to equip you. That's the point of it. So the reason we teach you up here is so that you can teach one another. And you can bring something in community to your fellow peers, your classmates, your teammates. This is why we do this. And so what does this all result in? Well, it results in, when Paul writes this, 
building up the body in, in unity and in maturity. Like, like you think sometimes that the way you mature is, is just to have some, this isn't me, but some wise person up here on the stage just dispensing all this wisdom and knowledge to you and you just take it all in. No, the other way this happens and the way it should be happening is that you're teaching one another in community. And that's how this maturity takes place. If you look down at verse 14, where it says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So what happens when someone bails on the church? What you see in verse 14. It's people being tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine. This happens every time. Whenever I know of someone who starts to pull away, it's like I know where that road is heading. I've seen it over many, many years. I've seen it over and over again. And then if you look at verse 15 and 16, he describes it. It's like this human body just growing up together. It says, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so all of this cannot happen when it's just you and Jesus and your Bible, and that's it. Like, you need to be part of community in order for this to take place. You know, many of us only see the church as a place that we attend. We don't see it as a people to whom you belong. Like, we've got to get out of our thinking that church is this just place I go. It's a place I attend. No, it's a people to whom you belong. That's what the church is. And it's a much different mindset. You know, I think of um, when, when you do change your mindset on what the church is supposed to be, this will, I think, impact your involvement, whether your involvement's marginal or whether it's, whether it's on the peripheral, the outside, or whether you're, you're all in. It, it all comes from how you see it, what your mindset is. I think of um, a few years ago when uh, I would take my daughter to the, the father-daughter dance here in Temple, which was one of the highlights of both of our years was to take her to the father-daughter dance. She loved it. I loved going with her. And, uh, and listen, I can't dance. I mean, most dads can't dance, right? That's why they're dads. Um, but... Uh, but I'd go to this father-daughter dance, and I would notice that um, a bunch of dads are on the dance floor with their daughters, well, like they should be, but there's a bunch of dads on the sides at tables just, like, by themselves, like, on their phones. And I don't know where their daughter is. Like, she's somewhere out there. But they're just, like, they're not really all in. They're, like, on the periphery over here. And, and everything in me wants to go to that dad, like, kick him in the shins and be like, get off your butt, go to the dance floor with your daughter. Right? And, but but why, are these, why are these guys doing this? You, you can tell the dads don't really want to be there. They're there because, you know, mom signed them up. Look, you need to go do this with your daughter. Spend time with her. But listen, th- these guys are trying to look like they belong, but they don't really want to be there. And so their involvement is on the periphery, on the outside. I think many of us, we do church like this. We do just enough to get somebody off our back, but not enough to really be involved. And if we go all in, it's, we feel exposed, like we're putting ourselves out there. But here's the deal. If you don't go all in, you're going to miss out on everyone's spiritual gifts. 
including being able to utilize your own gifts in the body of Christ. So we do discipleship in community because of spiritual gifts. But the second reason is all the one another verses that we see in the Bible. And I'll take you through these very quickly. So for the person who thinks you don't need community, I would ask you this question. Where in your life are you doing these things that we'll describe here in a second? So where are you being at peace with people in your life? Mark chapter 9, verse 50. Listen, if your version of being at peace is simply isolation, that's not really God's best for you. It's not God's plan for you. So who are you struggling to be at peace with? Because if you're in community, that should be happening. It should be a struggle. And this helps teach us the gospel. John 13, 34, we see the, the idea of loving one another. Who are you loving in the body of Christ if all you're doing is just attending a church service and walking out? Weeping with each other, Romans 12, 15. I'm sorry, rejoicing with one another, Romans 12, 15. And weeping with each other, Romans 12, 15. Uh, carrying each other's burdens, Galatians 6, 2. And this is not just, you know, tell me your, your burden and I'll bear it with you. But it's also bearing the burden of sin for someone. So someone's walking and struggling in sin. And you as a brother or sister in Christ, it talks about you helping to restore that person. And in so doing, you fulfill the law of Christ. So that means you are helping carry their burden of sin in the body of Christ, right? That's what our purpose is. Ephesians 4.32, forgiving one another. And then Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another. So who are you having to bear with in the church? And, and when all you do is just watch from the outside and just kind of observe and sort of halfway participate, um, you don't have to really bear with anybody, and the reality is there's going to be people that we don't like in the church. But again, this teaches us the gospel in a real practical way. And then another idea, James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another. That's also something we should be doing in the, in the body of Christ. I like what Jared Wilson says. He says, our reluctance and fear to confess our sins to one another is a direct result of our fail failure to cultivate authentic community in our churches. The two feed each other. Confession creates communal intimacy, and communal intimacy produces confession. And so there's like this cycle that can happen in the body of Christ. But when you confess to someone and you're known, you feel this sense of community with them, and then that also can give you that safety of feeling like, I can share more with this person, and this can happen in the body. And then lastly, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it says, stir one another up towards love and good deeds. So if you hang around here long enough, you're going to start living on mission, I hope with us. And uh, we've seen it happen time and time again with our, our students here. And so to anyone who downplays the importance of community, how are you living these things out if you're not involved in some sense of community? I really think these things can't happen unless you're involved in that way. So I don't have a, um, a bullet point for this one, but if you're not in community, how would you know if your theology was bad? If you're not part of the body of Christ, like in a relational way, like how would you know that your theology isn't very good? Meaning like what you believe about God, the things you believe about God and his word. Generally, when I see isolated people, it leads into all kinds of crazy theology and crazy ways of approaching our culture. Like I, I'm serious, guys. I've seen it a lot in the church. And so how would you know if your beliefs are biblical or not unless others are speaking into you in a, in a true relational way? 
we come to understand God's word in community. And so um, as you think about the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about time in the word and time in prayer. And listen, again, all of that is great, but it's not meant just for you. It's meant for us. And it should be happening in the body of Christ. So if the church was just t- about taking in sermons or information, then we could never be what Jesus calls us to be in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew 5, verse 13, read that with me on the screen. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So there's a couple of ways that salt is useful. It's a preservative, but it also enhances flavor. So I'm reminded of in Colossians 4, 6, where Paul says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So what that means is it's your job and my job to speak the gospel in such a way that it's compelling to those who hear it. I'm not saying it's some sales pitch, but I am saying that that God's word tells us to, to season our words with grace, season them with salt, so that the person might actually hear what you're saying, right? That's the idea I think Paul's going for here. So the other image that Jesus uses here is a city on a hill, and this doesn't mean the church should be distant from the world, but visible in the same way that a shining light is in the darkness. And so you and I can only be salt and light together when we are together. I think that's the image that he's, he's trying to paint for us here. We don't do this by ourselves. So what we're going to do this morning, 